Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9. Let's get into the Word of God here this morning, beginning in verse number 1. And we'll read from verse 1 down to verse number 31. It says, And Paul, excuse me, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And when he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. When he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their lying in wait was known of Saul, they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by the night, uh, by night, and led him down by the wall in a basket. 
And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto him how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. This morning, I'd like to speak to you on the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Let's ask the Lord's blessings on the message. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you asking you, Lord, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by your grace and by your mercy, that you would meet with us and speak to our hearts today. We thank you, Lord, that you saved Saul. We thank you that you converted him and changed his life. And oh, what a great and tremendous miracle of grace that we just read about. What a turnaround in this man's life from being a persecutor of Christians to a promoter of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, there's some truths in this story that uh, are important for us to understand today. And I pray that our hearts would be open and attentive. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts in no uncertain terms. And God, that you would arrest our attention and help us to make personal application I pray if anyone's here today that is not saved, I pray that this would be the very day of their salvation. May the Holy Spirit of God have free course and liberty and use us and use this time that we have together in this meeting for your glory and honor, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. If you are a studier of people, And I read all kinds of books, and this isn't psychology, but I know that people are different. There's different classifications of people types, but for the sake of this particular message, I'm going to talk about four basic personality types. You've got the number one, the person who's dominant, the strong personality type. This is the type of people that really almost have to have control. They're typically blunt. More often than not, they're people that are very quick to make judgments. Very confident. uh, Very assured that they're doing the right thing. The second kind of people are what I'll call the people people. That's the kind of people that just like being around people. They're animated. They're friendly. They're fun. They're optimistic. We would say that they're the life of the party people. Thirdly, there's people that are just simply steady. Steady people. They're dependable. They're predictable. They're comfortable. Because that's just who they are. And then fourthly, you have the detail people. That's the people that pay attention to the particulars and the details. They do things right. We'd also maybe classify them as perfectionists. I'm sure that as I've talked about these types of people, every single one of you have thought for a moment, I wonder what kind of people that I am. 
Maybe you've thought about, well, oh, I recognize that one. Maybe you've nudged your spouse or maybe you've thought about one of your children. Maybe you've thought about your mom or your dad, whoever the case may be. But I know that most of us, most of us are kind of a complex combination of all of these types of people. I heard of the story of back in King Arthur's day that uh, King Arthur had imprisoned four different men that were all each of these personality types. And it was determined that they all needed to be executed. And so they brought out to the executioner the dominant person. They lay him underneath the guillotine and the order was given and the guillotine begins to slide down and just before it gets to the neck of the dominant person, it stops. And so they think, wow, this must be fate. God must have rescued this man. And so they... As they're releasing him and letting him go, he yells out, he says, I told you I was innocent. Then they bring in the people, people person. And the same thing happens to him. Guillotine comes down, it stops. And so they release him. And he declares to the crowd, he says, I'm free. Let's celebrate. Then they bring in the steady person. Once again, same thing happens. Guillotine stops short. They release him. And he says, I don't blame you. You were just doing your job. And then they bring in the detail person. Same thing happens. They release him. He gets done. And he says, you know, he said, I think I know how this can be fixed. (laughs) Saul of Tarsus... We know him more as Paul, the apostle. Saul was definitely, um, definitely in that dominant personality category. Dominant people are incredible people that get things done, but they can be horrible people if misguided in a cause or in a belief. This story that we just read about Saul of Tarsus and his conversion experience, the first thing that I want to bring to your attention is number one, God works in mysterious ways. We read in verses one through nine that as Saul was on the road to Damascus, that Jesus shows up in a loud voice. Saul hears him explicitly. Those around, they hear the voice, but they don't understand the words. At that moment, the apostle or Saul of Tarsus is stricken with blindness. And one thing, if you know anything about dominant type personality type people, that one of the worst things that can happen to that type of person is to lose control. And certainly Saul of Tarsus was having to be led by others because God took away his sight. God showed up in a very magnificent, very... I mean, you know what God literally did to a very dominant personality type? It's as if God said, I'll show you who's dominant. It ain't you, buddy. It's me. I guarantee you that Paul's dominant personality... In fact... As I mentioned a minute ago, every single one of us are this complex combination of personalities. I know for me personally, 
one circumstance in life will bring out one part of my personality and another circumstance in life will bring out a totally different. Most of us are not just any one type of personality. We're complex. In fact, most of us are so complex that we never really feel like that we've got ourselves figured out. But the point that I want to make here this morning is that who we are is no mystery to God. He has us completely figured out. He knows what He needs to do in order to get our attention. Because He knows us better than we know ourselves. Dominant people are steamrollers. Paul got steamrolled by God. Has God ever spoken to you regardless of what your personality type is? How do you know when God's speaking to you? Maybe the question I should ask is God speaking to you today? Would you recognize it? You know that God speaks in so many different ways. Sometimes God speaks to us emotionally and He will just maybe touch our heart. Maybe He'll use an emotion. It might be fear. It might be anxiety. It might be something. It might even be happiness that God will use to speak to our heart. Sometimes God speaks to us informationally. Meaning that God will just simply give us the information for our understanding. Sometimes God speaks to us rationally. You know, I find throughout the Scripture that men like the Apostle Paul and others, it says that they would reason with others from the Scriptures. They just simply put the information and they try to bring a rational understanding so the human mind could understand the Gospel message. You remember what, uh, I can't remember if it was Festus or Felix, I get those two mixed up, that when Paul witnessed and gave his testimony, that the king said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. God was speaking to him through persuasion of the testimony of another born again believer. Sometimes God will speak to us through our circumstances, Sometimes God will speak to us through a relationship, maybe a loved one or a friend or so forth. Some of you have heard my personal testimony. I can remember when God was speaking to me as a sophomore in high school when I had departed from walking with the Lord and started going out and pursuing the things of this world. I hadn't gotten deep into sin as of yet, but that was the direction that I was heading. And I remember that early on how that God would speak to me. And boy, I would feel guilty and empty just knowing that even though the path that I was choosing had some exhilaration in it, some excitement, that God was somehow invisibly trying to lead me away from that. I remember when I had a wreck. I wrecked my sister's car. One week after I got my driver's license, Literally the very first time that I was on my own, so to speak, and was seeking uh, to do some things that I knew that I shouldn't do. The very first time. My sister had a Chevy Love pickup. Me and 
a casual friend, guy that I didn't know that well, but we went to school together. Very first party that I ever went to, we got in the front of that Chevy Love pickup and two other people got in the front of it with us. We were going down to the river to a place that we had heard that they would sell to miners. And so we were heading down to the river about the second curve that we hit. I hit it too fast, back end spun around and that truck rolled three times. Fortunately, nobody got hurt, not seriously. I looked up at my, this was January, right after my birthday when I got my license, I looked up and the stuffing was coming out of the the coat that I was wearing. And I reached my hand in there and pulled it out and it was covered in blood. Got home later that night and I had a just a just a killer headache. My uh, mother is doctoring up my shoulder and she looks at me and she says, son, I think the Lord's trying to get your attention. And I bowed my head and I said, I know, Mom. I know. And I knew it. I knew it beyond any shadow of a doubt. I wasn't telling her what she wanted to hear. I already had some sense in my heart that God was doing something to stop me from going the direction that I was headed. Unfortunately, in my stubbornness and thick-headedness, I continued to go in that direction. And throughout the the next three or four years, there were times when God would speak. Most of you have heard my testimony, how that right after I graduated from high school, that I was uh, planning on doing some things, and God was convicting me. And I went up to my nephew, and I said, if I find one more thing that you've done, I said, you're going to get it. And I said, do you know why? And he said, no. I said, because you know better. I'm telling you what, God spoke to me about as loud as you could be spoken to without actually hearing anything in your ear. Because when those words came out of my mouth, you know better, the Holy Spirit said, son, you know better. And I went and did what I was planning on doing that night. And ended up in jail that night. And because I didn't listen. I can remember many times of just being miserable in my conscience. I can remember even now when I'm not walking close to the Lord or not doing the things that I know that I'm supposed to do. There's always this kind of nagging sense that's just always there in the back of my mind. And you know what that is, folks? That's God speaking. You say, well, I don't hear God speaking. You need to get close to God. Listen, I don't ever want to get to the point of my life where there's not that nagging voice that's speaking to me. That is dangerous territory. I've had times where I ignored that voice. God would take me behind the woodshed. And I'd be thinking, oh, I wish I would have listened to your voice. Can I say to you here this morning that before God spanks, He always speaks? How do we know? In the Bible, He spoke to Elijah in a still small voice. We find that He spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. He spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. To many kings, He would speak to them through a prophet or through a priest. Listen, Whatever the case may be, God speaks different times in different ways, but please, please understand 
that God does speak and the way that He works is often in mysterious ways. Whenever I think of this cliche that God works in mysterious ways, I, I can't help but think about Gary Cooper and Sergeant York. And he made that statement, the Lord do work in mysterious ways. He does, folks. He knows how to get a hold of our hearts. He knows how to work in our circumstances. And sometimes when it seems like nothing around us is going on, He may just be doing something on the inside. You know, sometimes He speaks to us through the preaching of the Word of God. You may be sitting there saying, well, I don't know that God's doing anything supernatural. Listen, you're hearing the truth of the Word of God right here where you sit. And what I'm saying to you here this morning is the truth and the Word of God. And so, if it's true and it's Bible, then it is God speaking. doesn't have to require... Some of you are sitting there waiting for something that's just going to overcome you or overwhelm you and you'll be left with no choice but to respond. I hate to tell you this, you may be waiting for a long time. You may be like the old, I know this is an old joke, I won't even tell the whole thing, I'll just kind of hit the highlights, but the man who's in the floodwaters in Mississippi and he gets up on the roof of his house and he's praying, saying, God, please rescue me. And the water's rising up and getting closer to the peak and a boat comes by and says, hop in and we'll take you to the shore. And he says, no, God's going to rescue me. Another boat comes by and he says, no, God's going to rescue me. Next thing you know, the water's up right to the peak of the roof and a helicopter comes by, drops down a ladder, says over a loudspeaker, grab the ladder, God, and and uh, we'll rescue you. And he says, no, I've been praying. I trust God. He's going to rescue me. Helicopter leaves. Guy drowns. Gets to heaven. and He says, God, what happened? I prayed, I believed that you were going to rescue me. And God says, I sent two boats and a helicopter, you dummy. I almost didn't tell that because that's such an old joke. But I, I remembered, when I, when I thought about that, I remembered the time when um, my kids were old, older. And I, I, I told a, a dumb joke. And I made the statement, I grew up with this. When we'd hear an old joke, we'd say, oh, that joke's so old, the last time I heard it, I fell off my dinosaur and broke my wooden underwear. And I thought everybody heard that. I said that, and my son Josh, he busted out laughing, rolling on the floor. He thought that was so funny. And I thought, yeah, I still got it. I almost didn't tell that joke. But you know what? Even though that is a old, worn-out joke, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. Sometimes we are like Naaman uh, the leper, and he was hoping that the prophet would just do something miraculous. Sometimes we sit and we wait for God to overwhelm us or to force us that like we just can't even help it, and the whole time God's saying, look, I'm giving you my word. I'm speaking to you. I'm just waiting for you to do something about it. Faith is not passive. Faith is active. And while one person's testimony may be very emotional, 
that may not be the way that God is working in your life. You'll recognize it though when that voice inside of your head or that sense that you're having, if it's agreeing with the Word of God, I can just almost guarantee you it's God trying to do a work in your heart. Secondly, this morning, I'd like to point out that God can save anyone. Anyone. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or where you come from. It doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are. We've got a God that's in the saving business. He knows how to save to the uttermost and He can save anyone. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 verse number 15, he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. I'm telling you what, if God could save the Apostle Paul, He can save you. If He can save Paul, Paul says God just showed a pattern. God proved to each and every one of us that no matter what we've done, you cannot go too far in sin, but what God can't save you. Now the danger is not that God can't save you or that God doesn't want to save you. But I will say this, that the further that we go into sin, and every time that we ignore God speaking to us, something happens to the human heart. It just gets a little harder and a little harder. And while God's voice may be speaking, I know I mentioned this, some of you know, that I I wear hearing aids part time. I don't wear them all the time. Just when my wife makes me. I don't wear them here in the pulpit because it just, it, it distracts me. But I have to have help because I can't always hear. If there's a lot of background noise, then I can't hear things clearly. Uh, my hearing aid has a setting I can change on my phone. It's got like Bluetooth capabilities. And when I'm going down the road on the interstate, if I have it on its normal setting, all of the road noises and everything are magnified. And it's literally going down the road and you can just hear this. So I'll hand my phone to my wife and I'll say, here, change my setting. And she'll change it from auto to there's a cafe setting, like a restaurant. And as soon as she changes that setting, I'm like, oh, wow. It just blocks out all of that ambient noise. And it's like, wow, that's so refreshing. I can hear things crisp and clear now. I think there's a lot of people that God's speaking, but you don't hear His voice because you've got all of this ambient background noise that you never will be still. You never will allow your mind to be quiet and to listen and to think and to respond to what God's trying to say. I think there's other people that the, the, the noise is drowned out, 
There's others that have maybe a, that hearing just gets less and less until the, the sound's still there. God's still speaking, but it's just not registering in the spiritual ears that need to be hearing. God still wants to work. God still wants to save you. God still can save you. But it's dangerous territory when our ears get so dull of hearing that we cannot hear His voice. You may be saying, Preacher, how will I know? All I'll say to you here this morning is, boy, I wouldn't risk it. If God is speaking to your heart today, I can't guarantee you that He'll speak tomorrow. You need to respond. You need to take that serious and you need to take that as an urgent matter. Notice that Paul says here that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you're sitting there thinking that, oh, I'm so glad that God came to save those sinners, you're not thinking right because the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus will save every sinner and every sinner needs to be saved. It doesn't matter if you're a big sinner or a little sinner or a medium sinner. It only takes one sin to put a soul into an eternal hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Hey, if you miss heaven by one inch, it's no different if you missed it by a mile. You still missed it. And thank God, I hope you're a good person. You're a good person. You're going to enjoy this short time in this life a whole lot more than somebody that's going out and causing mischief and getting into trouble and having to suffer all the consequences. But even at that, when it's all said and done, if you live to be 70, 80, or 90 years of age, you're still going to die and go off into eternity. And the only way you can be saved is to come to the realization To look in the mirror of your heart and say, God, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. You think that if you really think that you're that good of a person, then you know what? You're not a candidate for salvation. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. If I have to convince you that you're a sinner, you're probably never going to be convinced. But if you'll be honest with yourself, you'll realize that, yep, I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You may be sitting here thinking, well, I've sinned too much. Listen, God saved the chiefest of sinners. If He can save the chief, He can save all of us little Indians. Amen? Thank God for that. That God has given us an example and God has made it clear that He can save anyone. The next point is a matter of practical understanding, and that is this. Self-protection can cloud our faith. Self-protection can cloud our faith. Every one of us is at least slightly self-protective. Some people are excessively self-protective. I mean, you would think that they have to go through life wrapped in bubble wrap. Don't take any chances. I mean, make sure that everything is as safe and possibly secure as that we can make it. There's nothing wrong with a realistic amount of self-protection. 
Uh, remember the slogan? I think, I, I can't even remember who it was. Might have been Nike or somebody that said, no fear. Whenever I'd see no fear, I'd think no brains. But there's good kind of fear and there's bad kind of fear. And this self-protective mentality can certainly cloud our faith. We read here in the story that the Apostle Paul, he gets converted and many of the disciples in their self-protective mentality, they were having a hard time accepting the Apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus as being a disciple. You know what? I'll cut them some slack. I think I'd probably have a hard time with that as well, wouldn't you? I mean, in modern times, if you go back, say, 15 years, well, maybe more than that. I'm losing track. If you go back 15, 16 years, what if a missionary in Afghanistan would have led Osama bin Laden to the Lord. And he would all of a sudden become a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I guarantee you, just like the Apostle Paul, all of his brotherhood would be trying to kill him. But can you imagine if he came back to the States and was going around to churches and if we got a call here, oh, this is Brother Bin Laden, <laughs> and I'd like to come by and give my testimony and tell what God has done. I'm looking at your expressions, and I think that we can all appreciate the fact that, oh, I don't, I don't know about that. So some of this is realistic. But at the same token, let me say this to you that giving the benefit of the doubt is not imprudent as long as it is implemented with some patience. I have a saying that I use all the time, and it's simply this, well, time will tell. Not everybody is what they appear to be, and not everybody tells the truth. And it seems like this day and age that we live in, the truth and just plain old brutal honesty has become something that's antiquated. I mean, you talk about people who live with guile, tell you what you want to hear, pretend to be something that they're not. It's common everywhere that we look. Sadly, it's very common in churches. And so I understand that not that many, many people are not what they appear to be. But giving people the benefit of the doubt is not imprudent, once again, let me say it, as long as we exercise that with patience. Now I'm going to give you three passages of Scripture that will hopefully help you out with your discernment of this particular issue. Proverbs 14 and verse number 15 says, The simple... Believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. That means that to be prudent, we need to be careful that we don't necessarily believe every word. I would say you need to be prudent when you watch the news. Very prudent. Because what you hear is seldom the truth. And uh, they may be uh, finding something truthful about what they're saying, but their motive and what they're trying to get you to, to feel or believe may be something that isn't the way that it was. 
Proverbs 22, verse number 3 says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. What does it mean to be simple? Well, the Bible says that Christians are supposed to be simple. So they're supposed to be wise concerning that which is good. We're supposed to be simple concerning that which is evil. So to be simple means that we're, doesn't mean that we're foolish or stupid. It doesn't mean we're idiots. It means that we're simply not yet informed. We don't have all of the facts. And so the simple, if we exercise, we make decisions without all of the facts and without patience, then we might get ourselves in trouble. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.22, he said, Lay hands suddenly on no man. That laying on of hands, we find that in the Old Testament. That laying on of hands of the sacrifice. We find that laying on the hands of the apostles. It showed acceptance. It showed an endorsement, so to speak. Paul said, lay hands suddenly on no man. Don't be impatient. Listen, if somebody that I barely know comes and visits the church here a couple times, let's say they, they, they could visit for six months and stand up and say, hey, God's called me to be a missionary to wherever. I'm not necessarily going to say, yeah, well, we'll support you. But you know what I would be willing to say? It's like, praise the Lord. That's wonderful. Now let's see how this goes. You follow what I'm saying? Lay hands suddenly on no man. It may not be the right time. It is not imprudent. It is not foolish to give people the benefit of the doubt. As long as we just exercise that with patience. I know people who just get this big thrill out of being right. If you get a thrill out of being right, then just think the worst out of everyone. Because we're all sinners. We're all flesh. We're all descendants of Adam. And if you think the worst of everyone, then you're probably going to be thrilled a lot because you're going to be right more often than not. But I like to say that doesn't require a whole lot of discernment to be that way. You know, Ananias and Barnabas here in our text, God offered them that reassurance so that they could believe in Saul of Tarsus, to believe that he was who he was saying that he was. I know people who have a very sensitive red flagger. I made up that word, by the way. Meaning they have a red flag. They can red flag. They can, they can kind of, they can kind of tell if somebody is on the up and up. But I'd like to ask you this question. Is it fair to judge a person based on a feeling? Or to judge somebody on something you think that they're gonna be or gonna do when they haven't done it? Can I remind you how the Lord Jesus treated Judas, the betrayer? Jesus didn't judge Judas for something that he hadn't done yet. The church and the world are filled with very imperfect people. That, you know what? Some of them might be less imperfect 
if someone respectable would just simply maybe believe in them. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Not be that self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, I know, they're a snake in the grass. They're Oh, I know what they're all about. I can just feel it. My red flaggers just going... I, I can tell there's they're, they're something wrong with them. And so then we just avoid them and reject them and treat them based on that feeling until they finally give up and say, well, you know what? This church didn't help me, so I might as well go back out in the world. You know what you got? Oh, you're right. You'll feel really good about it, but it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Aren't you glad that Barnabas and Ananias weren't that kind of believers? Aren't you glad that they were willing to trust God and give Saul of Tarsus the benefit of the doubt and help him in those early days and keep him from getting totally discouraged? I'm sure that Saul of Tarsus understood and appreciated how that so many believers would not trust him. He knew what he was. But put yourself in his shoes. God just told him what to do. All he's doing is just obeying God. He's not trying to win a popularity contest. He's just simply trying to follow the Lord in obedience. Listen, I'm not saying stick your head in the sand or wear rose-colored glasses. I'm just simply saying that it's not imprudent to give people some benefit of the doubt and then just simply give it time. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Paul furthermore said in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse number 7, you know what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about, right? It's about charity. It's about loving people. And there's a little verse in there, verse number 7, that says, Charity beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. We need to endure with people. We need to bear with people. And we need to hope people. If people say that they're one thing, hey, let's hope that they are what they say that they are and let's try to help them along the way instead of overreacting to a gut feeling and then just totally ostracizing ourselves from them until they feel the rejection and our prophecy becomes fulfilled. Conclusion. We all need to know and understand that God can use anyone any way that He wants. There was a passage right here in our text, verse 15 and 16, that every time that I read it, it really gets my attention. Because this is what God said when He called the Apostle Paul, when He called Saul of Tarsus into His ministry. Let's read it once again. Verse 15, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Look at verse 16, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. <laughs> we got people today that respond to, you know, will be preachers or missionaries or pastors because they look at it and they think, wow, that's a cushy life. What, what, what an easy way to make a living. Now, I will say this, that the person that feels that way has never been in the true ministry. But at the same token, I, I think that 
we don't always understand. Sometimes we see the man behind the pulpit and it just appears to be kind of glamorous and glorious. But the reality of it is, is that if we're going to help other people, I, I, I've, I've observed this in my life and in my ministry. Sometimes God has to beat the stuffing out of us to get us where we can actually be a help and a blessing to other people. You want to serve God? Saul of Tarsus here, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? His will was surrendered. But God had to show him how great things that he would have to suffer in order to glorify God's name. Hey, if I gave that as an invitation, hey, how many of you would like to come forward and present yourself for suffering so that you can glorify the name of God? I, I know what you do. Oh, I think I'll just stay where I'm at. I, I, I think I'll just do what I've always done. <laughs> Not respond until <laughs> That was a joke. <laughs> hey, God knows what He's doing. He can use anyone any way that He wants. I think about what Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, verse 20. He said, "...in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the Master's use, and prepared unto every good work." That tells me that we're all vessels that God wants to use. And we can be the kind of vessel that God wants to use. My family is always, when, when I go into the, the kitchen cabinets, there's glasses and bowls, and I don't know how your family is, but my family has always been a little bit quirky about the vessels that they use. Go all the way back to when my son was just a little boy and he was a serial killer. I mean, if there was cereal in the cabinet, he would kill it. Didn't matter if it was Captain Crunch or Corn Flakes or Rice Krispies, it was not going to last very long. But he had a bowl that he liked to eat his cereal out of, and it was made of kind of a rubber. And it was, it was the Kool-Aid guy. You know the, the, the Kool-Aid guy? How do I describe the Kool-Aid? He's just the, that guy. And, and, and the bowl had a little suction cup that would, you could put it on the table and it was kind of a soft rubber and Josh called it the squishy bowl. Cause you could eat cereal, but it was squishy. That was the vessel that he liked to eat his cereal out of. Now my wife, she's got some quirky things and she knew this was coming her way. And, you know, we have all different kinds of glasses. You know, some glasses are for tea at the dinner table, but she's got these little glasses that she likes to drink her grape juice out of with her breakfast in the morning. And if I'm helping out, you know, if she's getting the breakfast ready and she says, would you mind pouring the drinks? If I don't put it in the right kind of glass, she won't drink it. I mean, she'll take the glass that I just dirtied up and she'll pour it into the glass that she wants to drink it out of. That's weird. Sure do love her though. But you know, 
back to our point here, God is looking for vessels that He can use. And listen, God's not going to use you and I the way that He has used Saul of Tarsus. God's not going to use me the way that He uses you. He's not going to use you the way that He's going to use you. He can use anyone any way that He wants. Rand Hummel, we went to a men's retreat there at the wilds. And some of you have read some of his books or heard him preach. And uh, he just did a great job preaching on men's purity. And, and he said, he made a statement. He said, I think in the body of Christ, you know, everybody, you've got your arms and your legs and all this. He says, I think in the body of Christ, I'm a nose hair. My job is to just kind of help filter out some of the impurities in the body of Christ. In case you didn't know, that's what nose hairs are for. Yeah. I, there was a guy in our church in Idaho, I guarantee you, no impurities ever reached his lungs. I don't know how oxygen reached. Yeah, anyhow, that's, that's another story. But God can use you. Sometimes, sometimes He's not going to use you to be the painter. He might just use you to be the scaffolding that the painter can climb onto so that they can do the painting. God can use any one of us any way that He wants to. And you know, as you, as you look in verse 23 through verse 25, it says that they are trying to kill Him, but they ended up by night letting Paul down by the wall by a basket. Some of these were the same people that were frightened of Him, and now they're helping Him over the wall in the basket. And the point is, Obey God and God will take care of you. Just do what you're supposed to do, the best that you know how to do, and God will take care of it. Our message this morning was entitled, The Conversion of Saul of Tarsus. The word conversion means to be changed from one state to another. And I want to close with giving you four very quick verses of Scripture that talk about conversion. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse number 15, He said, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Listen, as I've already said, if you continue to tune out God, your ears will become dull of hearing until pretty soon God will be speaking, but you're not hearing. God says that He wants to convert you. You need to respond while you still can hear His voice. Matthew 18, verse number 3, And said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Hey, a little child doesn't have to understand everything about it. I, I, I'm amazed. I think there are a lot of people that don't get saved because they want to understand everything. They want to know what to expect. They want to know what God's going to do. They have to understand everything. And I got news for you. A little child just does what mom and dad says and trusts them. That's what we've got to do to be converted, to be changed from one state to another. We've got to be willing to say, God, I don't understand. I don't know everything about it, but I trust you. 
And I know that you love me and I know that you're going to take care of me. And we've just got to believe his word and just let God be God. The next verse, Acts 3.19 says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. We've got to be willing to repent before we can ever be converted. Paul, I guess I should say Saul of Tarsus. Listen, you won't find a better example of a repenter than Saul of Tarsus. He was going this direction, persecuting Jesus, persecuting Christians, and he turned around and he was the biggest, boldest preacher and propagator of Jesus Christ and the gospel that this whole world has probably ever known. He turned. He repented. And then as we close with this verse, Jesus said in Luke 22, verse 32, regarding Simon Peter, the man who had betrayed him three times, literally after all that Jesus had done for Peter, after everything that he had seen, Peter denied the Lord and Jesus said, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when... He didn't say, if thou art converted. Jesus believed in Peter. And I think it was important for Peter at that moment to understand that Jesus believed in him. Peter needed somebody to believe in him. When thou art converted, the Lord says, strengthen thy brethren. Peter, I've got something for you to do. Yeah, you've messed up. Yeah, you're going to take this scar Throughout life, it's going to affect you every time something comes up. Can you imagine what Peter felt like every time that he heard a rooster crow? Can you imagine the guilt and the feeling of remorse that would just come back up into his heart and in his bosom every time he heard, but he had to deal with that. And Jesus said, I believe in you, Peter. You're going to get through this. And when you do get through this, I still got something amazing that I want you to do for me. Aren't you glad that God is still in the saving and converting business? And He'll he'll do the same for you right here and right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank You for the conversion of Saul. Thank You for the change that You made in his life. Thank You for the pattern that You set for us all. I think about this congregation and what we've heard and what we've said here this morning. I don't know where everyone's at in their life. I don't know what's going on in their heart. I don't know how they feel about what they heard today, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would open hearts and draw us to You. If there be anyone here today that is not saved, I pray that they'd get saved before they leave this auditorium there be anyone here today that um, has wandered astray and perhaps not trusted your plan for their life, I pray, God, that we would follow the example and pattern of Saul and we just simply, from our hearts, say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I pray that you'd help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Remain seated with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Uh, pianist is going to play here for a few minutes. I'd like to give you an opportunity to come to the altar and pray and talk to God. As God spoke to your heart, you got something that you need to talk to Him about. Maybe you've got a sin that you need to confess and get right. Maybe you've got a direction in your life or a surrender issue that 
you've been away from God and you want God to use you and you want God to bless you, why not come down here and talk to Him about it? Maybe you need to be saved. Whatever your case is, we invite you to come. Respond to the Lord. Don't put off God today. Don't wait. I'm glad that Saul of Tarsus didn't wait. He didn't say, Lord, I'll I'll do it tomorrow. He just simply obeyed the Lord. God kept up His end of the bargain, and He will with you as well. Stand and get a hymnal, hymn number 308. As we sing this song, the altar's still open. Hymn number 308, I Surrender All. Think about it as we sing it. Do what God has told you to do.